The scripture reading for Dr. Hunter's sermon is Galatians 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and delivered himself up for me. Now, There is pain and chaos in life, but it wasn't always that way. There was a time when God made plain to a man and a woman why they were in this world. It was His world. He designed it. And they were to come to Him and experience fullness and joy. The time was in paradise. It was in Eden. And he had given them all the provisions that they needed for happiness. But there came a time when they wanted to leave his steps, his design. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 5, we watch that leaving. The serpent said, verse 4, You surely shall not die, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, he's talking about the forbidden fruit, that your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Now make no mistake, this is the temptation that all of us have inherited and all of us have carried through on to design our own life, to dance our own steps, to go our own way. And just as we inherited this from Adam and Eve, so too we walk out in our own life. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. And not too long after that, they physically exited the garden of God where all had been his provision and all had been his design, and they assumed that they were to make a world on their own. In this day, across this world, and especially in this nation, we fight an insidious and lonely and vaporous idol, and it's called individualism. At one time, we knew that God had made us to fit into his plan or we wouldn't be made at all. But in another sense, we believe as people that it is our job to put meaning into the world. And it is our job to face our past of sin, trying to reconcile that past, trying to rectify it. To face our past of pain and being victimized. And to face our future not knowing which direction to go, alone. And so that's how we operate. I watched a newscast about the hurricane this week, and I saw a man standing in the field in Louisiana. And he was reporting what he had seen that day. And he said, I saw the most curious thing. He said, I saw a bunch of seagulls walking. The wind was whipping around. And the chaos was coming down. And these birds that were made for flight 
We're simply walking, trying to make headway. And one of them did mount up on its wings and tumbled over and over again until it was blown into something. It reminds me of the situation we're in. We were made to fly, but the sins of our past and the pains of our past and the fears of the future swirl around us like chaos because everyone tries to build his own world. Everyone tries to design his own dance. And the problem is, we're not coordinated. And so we run into everyone else and we can't dance very well to begin with. We're all lame and we're all crippled and we're all feeling the responsibility to design the world as if we were the only ones to give ourselves meaning. There's a philosophy like that, you know. It's called existentialism. Probably its chief modern spokesman was Jean-Paul Sartre. He was an absolute genius in a literary sense. What a glorious writer he was. But philosophically, he was more autistic savant. He had a great talent, but no contact with the world outside. And his words about the world were these. Ones that many Americans believe and live, even if they don't know the name of it. His belief was, there is no overarching, unifying principle of life. There is no transcendent meaning. There is no objective design. The whole world depends on what you put into it. The whole world depends on what you make of it. And so everyone is their own little God. Now, the curious thing about Sartre was even at the end of his life, he began, he began to see that life was more complicated than that. And that people weren't alone and many people just had to deal with what they had been given. So he stopped saying that life is what you make of it. And he started saying life is what you make of whatever has been given to you. But he never get, did get to the point that there was a bigger design than all of it. And a bigger designer because of it. What he saw was pain, and he said it's up to you to fix it. It's up to you to design your way out of it. But what happens is just more and more pain. I don't know how many of you have ever taken a course on the classics, but there is a, a, a Roman poet by the name of Horace. He lived just before the time of Christ. And Horace had a rule in his dramatic art, in his epic poetry. And the rule was this. You never introduce a god until the plot has become so entangled that only a god can untangle it. God did that in our universe. He didn't introduce himself until the plot had become so entangled that only Jesus Christ could untangle it. Galatians 4.4 4 says, And when the time had fully come, God came into this world. I want today to talk to you about identifying with Jesus Christ and what that means. And making Jesus Christ your identity. Turn to Galatians chapter 2 with me. In the Bible, sometimes there are 
verses. There are probably three or four of them, four of them in the whole Bible that can describe, <clears throat> that are so full of content and so full of meaning, they can describe the whole of history in one verse. And this is one of those verses. If you dig into this particular verse, it has practically the whole story of God. I have been crucified with Christ. This is Paul writing, and he's writing about his identity. Now, let me tell you the Greek tense of that verb. It is perfect, indicative, passive. It is just the opposite of what Sartre would say, look, if you want meaning, it's up to you to go out and get it. If you want meaning, design it into life. If you want purpose, you put in the purpose to life. Because life is whatever you put into it. No. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. When I baptize people this afternoon, we're going to read Romans 6, 6. And it's about dying with Christ. It's about erasing a life that we thought we were in control of. I have been crucified with Christ. The perfect of that tense means that there is something that happened once that has a continuing effect on my life. The indicative as contrasted with the imperative. The imperative means you've got to do something. The indicative means here's some information you need to be aware of. You don't have to do anything. It's already happened, Paul. And the passive as contrasted with the active means you just receive it. That's the only thing you do. This is called justification. This is called being saved. There is nothing you can do to be saved. There is only something you can receive. It's that simple. Why? Because it's not up to you. It's up to God. You didn't do it. God did it. It's that simple. I hear so often, you know, there are hundreds of religions in this world. How do you know Christianity is right? And it seems as though there are hundreds of religions in this world. But really, there are only two. There are only two religions in this world. One religion is what I do to get right. And the other religion, Christianity, is the only one philosophically that fits in this category, is what God has done to design his world. One religion says, this is what I believe will get me in good with God. And this religion has many names, some of them Eastern, some of them Western, some of them Christian. And it says, this is what I do in order to please God. This is what I do to get better. This is what I do to make life all right. And the other religion says, this is how I stand with nothing to bring to the table but thanksgiving for what God has done for me. It's just that simple. These people will live all their lives thinking they're praising God but really praising themselves. You know, when Ronald Reagan was governor of California, he went down to Mexico City. And he was to give a speech there. And he gave this speech, and there was not much response. And when he sat down, there was just polite response. And then, a person stood up and began to talk in Spanish. Now, Ronald Reagan was embarrassed that he got no more response to his speech than he did. 
So he didn't want to appear embarrassed. And when these people began to applaud at several places in this man's talk who followed him, he applauded louder and longer than anyone else until somebody came over to him and said, I wouldn't do that if I were you. This man is simply interpreting the speech you just gave. Some of us believe that we're worshiping God and what we're really doing is applauding ourselves. Because that is the religion we have. There comes a point, though, when you say, you know what? I don't have to design the dance. There is a choreographer. There comes a point when you say, God, not anything of me. All of you. There comes a point when, read on with me in here, he says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and delivered himself up for me. It's no longer I who live. You know, the Jesus many people have fits into one or two categories. It's either a Vaseline Jesus or a Velcro Jesus. And neither one of those is very good. Let me tell you why. There are some Arminians that believe that if you don't watch, Jesus will just slip away. You know, you don't hang on to him. He's going, and even when you do hang on to him, he kind of squirts out. He's just kind of slippery. You're going, to, you're going to lose something. There are other people who believe in security. But they, and they believe you won't, you won't, Lose Jesus because he's like Velcro. He'll cling to you. But if you want to, if you really have to, you can detach from him. I heard of one recovery group. And I don't know whether this is true or not. But they were so threatened by anybody uh, uh, talking about the Lord Jesus in the group. They said to somebody, when you come in this room, you leave Jesus at the door. Now, I've got a couple of things to say to you here. One is as a pastor... And one is as a theologian. The one as a pastor says this. Anytime you are about to go into a group that advises you to leave Jesus at the door, you turn around and go away from that door yourself. Because if that group's too good for Jesus, it's sure too good for you. But the second thing is even more important to our understanding. If you are Christian, you can't leave Jesus at the door. You can't detach yourself from God because it's no longer you who lives. But it's Christ who lives in you. Christ is you. He is your identity. And whether or not you recognize that, that is the objective fact. It doesn't mean feeling close to Jesus. And it doesn't matter how close you feel. Although it's wonderful to sense an intimacy with God. But the truth we stand on is an objective fact. It has happened. And its results continue to help us not to live according to man. You know, we are going through here at the church of changing gears, trying to figure out how to have ministry in so great a group of people. And in a, in a, in a smaller church, you can... You can, if you've got a problem, you can always call the pastor. In a larger church, you can't do that. You have to minister to one another, which is God's original design anyhow. So we're trying to figure out how to do it. We had a pastor's retreat this week, and, and Vernon said something very wise. He said, you know, there's two ways to build a church. One is by default, and one is by design. 
When you have default ministry, what you're doing is trying to run around, put out fires. Everybody's got a little emergency and you're trying to address it. That is, that is church building by default. You find a need and fill it. Anybody ever heard of that one? Yeah. Robert Schuller built a very successful church on that. And that is how many churches, as a matter of fact, that is the church growth motto. Find a need and fill it. But you know what? When you build a church like that, you're building it on human need and not on God's design. How to really build a church is to listen to God and let the chips fall where they may. And do you know what the paradox of that situation is? More people will get their needs answered because they have been attached to God and not had some human pretend like they could answer their individual needs. The paradox is, it seems like we've got individual needs, but our needs are really to find our fit in the universe. And you can only do that with God. It's a wonderful thing. Now let me tell you two things. One about abiding in Christ, and one about going to the ballet. First of all, how do you access this place with God? What do you do in order to do this? Somebody, somebody once came up to a Christian and said, you know, and his life was a mess. And he looked at this Christian, this Christian walking around in peace, had a grin on his face most of the time, was totally confident. He said, what do I do to find peace with God? And the Christian said, are you too late? And the man panicked. He said, I'm too late to find peace. Christian said, oh no, you're too late to do anything about it. It's already been done. 2,000 years ago, everything's been done. Now what you do is live in light of what God's done. And that's exactly what we're talking about here. One day I was out running and I, and I ran past a lake. And there was a, there was a neatest scene. There was an old, old guy big fat old guy on a dock with a fishing pole. I saw this. I saw a bumper sticker this week, by the way. I liked it. It says, uh, work is for people who don't know how to fish. I kind of like that. I don't fish in a lake, but I feel like my work is fishing. So I, 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 like, I identify with fishermen. But here's this old guy. He's got a pole. Real old guy. And on his lap, He's got a little four or five year old kid. I'm not very good at estimating ages of kids, but little kid sitting on his lap, hanging on to the same pole. And this kid is talking a mile a minute. He's asking all kinds of questions. Grandpa, why do fish eat worms? Are worms good to eat? Should we eat them? And before this guy gets a chance to answer the kid, he's on to the next question. Grandpa, how do fish hold their breath so long under the water? How do they do that? Can we you know, and just on and on. And every time this kid asks a question, he goes on to the next thing. As I run by, I look back, and the expression on this old man's face was absolutely priceless. There was this look of contentment and serenity. The kid was not getting the information he was looking for, but he wasn't waiting long enough to get it. The contentment and the serenity came not from the answers that he had, but from the abiding he was doing. In John 15, Christ said, Abide in me. What do you do to abide? Nothing. You just rest. 
You just depend. You just trust. The smile on the old guy's face came from his grandson abiding in him. He wasn't teaching him much because the grandson wouldn't listen long enough. Does that remind you of anybody? But he was in the position of being cared for by that grandfather. And I can guarantee you when that little kid grew up, he was walking around with his grandfather inside of him. Abide in Christ. You don't have to know what to do. You don't have to know the answers to your questions. Rest in Christ. He's the one that has not left the universe. Secondly, be aware that God does have a design for the world and even though it looks like chaos, it just looks like chaos because you're trying to do your own thing. Be aware that in all of the Bible there are references to God's plan for our life. And God's plan for our life never goes away just because we won't listen to it. It's always there. Be aware you don't have to make up your own dance because... 1 Peter 2.21 says our job is to what? Follow what? In his steps. In his steps. Be aware that we are to contribute things to this world. But there are not things of our creation and our design. Because Ephesians 2.10 says that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. But what's the rest of that? Prepared for us beforehand that we should walk in them. Friends, you're invited to the ballet. You're invited not to watch, but to participate. Now, let me tell you why people don't get involved in the ballet and why they live in the pain. Because they are so caught up in having control over their own lives that they won't go up what those girls said was the steep and narrow stairway to the dance. In Matthew, it describes in Matthew chapter 11. Let me show you the, the scripture. Matthew chapter 11, it describes that stairway like this. Jesus says in, in verse uh, chapter 7, I'm sorry. Jesus says in verse 13, Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And many are those who enter by it. But the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life. And few are those who find it. Many of you will not hear what I say today. Many of you will continue to live in the pain of your past, in the regret of your sin, trying to fix your life by reconciling yourself to what's going on. But for the few of you that can hear this, hear this. You're invited to the ballet. The dance is choreographed. And if you will spend the rest of your life trying to, to dance the dance that God has for you, you will find the peace that you're looking for. Peace does not come from trying to make up for your sins. Peace does not come from trying to be reconciled to those who have hurt you. Peace does not come from trying to plan your future. None of those are bad in themselves. 
Sometimes pieces of them are necessary for us. But let me tell you, from one who has been hurt to others who have been hurt, you could spend the rest of your life trying to make that right, and you can't. You know why? Because you were designed for the ballet. You were designed to dance God's dance, to follow in His steps. And that's what He invites you to do. To listen. And to simply, for the next step of your life, do what He says. Or do as close as you can come to your understanding of what He says. And you know what? If you make a great mistake, there is grace. You don't ever have to be afraid of making a mistake because you were trying to do what you thought God wanted you to do. You are totally relieved of that responsibility. You're invited to the ballet. You can't dance with God on your own. You've got to let Him lead. But you're invited to the ballet. Would you pray with me now? There may be some of you, by the way, that want to come down and pray with some folks afterwards. And so I would ask anybody um, who wants to pray with people to come down and stand. And those of you who want to come down and pray on your knees, just come down and pray on your knees. And the people who are standing will pray with you if you want them to. Now let me tell you what to pray about. Don't pray about fixing your past anymore. Pray about dancing with God. Pray about your whole new life. Pray about living totally in God. Pray with me now. God, as we come to you, there may be some today who want to come and be justified. And know that justification is not only the forgiveness of sins for the past, but it is the power of righteousness for the future. And in that walk, you are the one who will lead. There are some for whom this transition is very difficult because they've never known how to totally glorify you and get themselves out of the center. Teach us all, Lord, continually how to do that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as a good start to what we're doing, everybody stand up. Everybody stand up. And while we're standing, you who are singing... And want to come down and pray with people? You just come, you just make your your way down. But what I want to do is I want to uh, to to sing the Gloria Patri. Some of you grew up in churches. Uh, remember, glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, it is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Amen. So that we can see God's design and God's sovereignty from the very beginning and how that is carried out to the very end. Let's sing it together as a benediction.
Lord, would you all leave silently thinking about glorifying God and about walking in His steps? You're dismissed.